Hi, it's Wednesday, and um, just finished a big project. Let me um, see if I can do a few words about the Parsha today, because there's a possibility I may do the Haftarah tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I have a big meeting in about an hour. Let's see if we can do something about the Parsha. Today's um, Parsha is being sponsored by the Radomskis. Uh, Benjamin and Dvora uh, Radomsky from Israel, from Eretz Israel, isn't that nice? Uh, and they live in uh, in Elazar. That's in the Gush, isn't it? And uh, they asked to sponsor this week uh, in memory of the grandfather, who is Alexander Mordechai Ben Arya Yehuda, um, which is on the 29th of the month. Uh, we're very happy to do so. And uh, the best thing you can do is say, <laughs> if one's grandchildren live at Elazar, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. This is a British couple, now Israeli. Um, and so we thank them for the support. Uh, you know, last night I did the uh, bio. I happened, happened to be to Marik, because somebody asked me to do so. At, <clears throat> this is a funny story. I just happened to open the Meshachach before. Don't ask me why. And... Uh, as I opened the Chayisara, my copy, I see I had highlighted from some other year. What it says is, uh, You know, Yaakov later on says to, uh, is told by his parents, Yitzchak and others in Rivka say to Yaakov, Don't marry a local girl. Don't marry a local shiksas. But Avra never said that. And uh, I guess the Meshachach must be wondering why that is. And, you know, he's very halachic and lumdish, obviously. And he says, Mikan Rai Lamarik. I'm just, that's why I'm mentioning this. Because I happened to do the Marik yesterday. This is a proof to the Marik, who's in the Ramah. It's quoted in the Ramah in Yordea. Mom is close to what I was saying last night. Da'aben eno chayv l'shmo A parent does not have the right, halachically, to interfere in one's choice of a marriage partner. Provided that, you know, it's all halachically okay. So a guy likes a girl and falls in love with her and so forth and so on, and everything's on the up and up. The parent can't say, well, you're violating Kibbut Avayim because I don't want you to marry her. That's an interesting, right? Uh, I'm not 100% sure how he applies that to Yitzchak because Yitzchak lived, we're talking about, not talking about Jewish girls, we're talking about Canaanite girls. Uh, but on the other hand, I, if, if you paid me, I could twist out of it. In other words, then you go be Megayer and then you marry her, you know, whatever it is. It's simply a wonderful example to quote the Marik, and to point out that uh, Chayisar is full of all kind of holes. Uh, there's so many gaps in the narrative, which is why the Midrashim fill them in in a big way. And there are a lot of contradictory Midrashim when it comes to the stories connected with, uh, with Chayisar. That's for sure. I'm sure I spoke about it in the past. I don't know what I talked about last year, but um, you know, this year is all about the Shaduchim, but I wanted to... Uh, my attention was drawn, let me put it this way, to this very enigmatic uh, Keturah story. Because we have a funny business. Here's a guy named Avram, who didn't have a kid till he was 90. Okay, I get it. And then 10 years later, which was a miracle, he had another child. So he was 100 years old, had two kids. And then uh, his wife dies when she's 127. So what was he? Uh, 10 years old in hers, I guess, so he's 137. So here's a guy who's 137 years old. And, uh, and what he, and, and he said, Avram Zakim Baba Yamim. 
and uh, subsequently he gets married at one, <laughs> at one I was hoping to get interrupted here. There are certain hermeneutical strategies that are associated with, with um, what do you call it, with uh, Agatha matters. And one of them is that when you see some person mentioned enigmatically in a Torah story, uh, and you're told nothing about the person whatsoever, it's the style of the Chazal, or sometimes it is. Let me rephrase it. It's the style of some members of Chazal to seek to identify that person with another person that you already know. So a perfect example is who's Keturah? is Hagar. See, I'm the reader. If I hear it's Hagar, oh, I know she is. It raises a bunch of weird questions, like he got rid of Hagar before. Well, then you say she did Shuvah and things were different. You say, uh, but, uh, you know, Hagar was old. How could she have six kids? Well, you say, you know, there's a miracle or something like that. You understand? Uh, very often you find this is an Isha Achas Nevi'im, and uh, we don't know who that is. And it's presented in the text to Elisha, like, you know, just, she's some enigmatic personality. No, 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 she's uh, the wife of Avadia. You know, that, that kind of thing. You find it very often. I want to emphasize, this does not constitute the sum total of all the Hazal-type approaches. It is a number of them. You know who wrote an essay about this, if I remember correctly? The Mars Chayes, I think. You know, he's got a book called Darkei Agoda, but he's not the only one, you know. And when you see somebody, you don't know who they are, what's flying, what's going on, you say it's identical with another person. I'll give you a good example that comes to mind. Isha Kushis Lokach, Moshe married a Kushite woman. And they don't tell you anything about her. That's pretty, uh, what's the right word? You know, uh, 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 I'm looking for a word. That's pretty enigmatic. Uh, like, why do you tell me about somebody married to Isha Kushit? I mean, you know, tell me more, right? So the Chazal said, well, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a power, right? Now, by the way, there's others in the Chazal there explicitly in the Sifri who said, it's not Tzipor. So I tell you again, you can't say Chazal. Chazal is like a big group, and it's a Tanoi Mamroim, and, you know, you find different opinions out there. That's just good to know. So we have now this funny story that uh, after Yitzhak is married, uh, you know, uh, Avram remarries, and uh, he has these children. That's a lot of kids. So he's 140. He's, he has children in his 140s. And he dies in 175. So these kids are 30, 35, something like that when, when the father dies. All right. You know, that's, uh, that's possible. They're with him for a while. But uh, as we know, before he dies, he sends them east. Get them out of the way. Uh, on the other hand, he doesn't send them that far east. Because one of his million, right? And Minyan is uh, more or less south of Israel, the sort of in the, sort of in the Negev area. We understand it. Perhaps I should say the area, I guess, somewhat east of Eilat, something, something along those lines. And that seems to be associated with Midian. Now, uh, who is this Keturah? You know, us talks about why did he marry somebody like that, and why do he have six kids, and 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 so on and so forth. And oh, how come all of a sudden he could father so many children before he couldn't? It's a strange business. Right? Uh, you gotta admit, we would be totally fine if you completely snipped that out. If the whole story of Abram and Keturah, you know, maybe the Shagasari wouldn't have nothing to talk about Milas ben Keturah, but we could we could just continue with the narrative about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob completely skipping the Keturah story. But if it's in the Torah, I'm obviously wrong. <laughs> so what's going on over here? Now, first of all, let me say it like this. I don't know. All I can do is just 
tell you what 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 appears to me, what, what I think. And um, when you have, uh, or let me put it this way, when I have uh, these kind of strange uh, phenomena, first thing you try to do is say, oh, yes, what does the Chazal say in the subject before you see anybody else? If you ever make a study of it. What does the Chazal say in study? Now, how do you find out what the Chazal say on anything? You get the Torah uh, Shlema, you know, from, uh, what's his name, uh, Malcolm Kasher. I have a set. Torah Shlema. And he brings every single Chazal there is. Uh, for those of you not sure what I'm talking about, Tanoi Mamarayim, okay? Anything in the Gemara, the Medrash, this and that and the other. Okay? Now, um, when you go through these, so it's the, you know, the Torah Tumima did it half-baked and the Torah Shlema did it full-baked. And, um, so what is he saying, Katura? So I was just interested, you know? What is he saying, Katura? And, you know, uh, all kind of different Midrashim over here and so forth. But uh, the one that struck me is the Medrash Yilam Denu, which we're not exactly sure what the Medrash Yilam Denu is. Some say it's the, the, the Tanhuma variation. Others say other things like that. Some give it an early date. Some give it a later date. The Midrashim were composed, as we understand it. Uh, now, when I say we understand it, scholars understand it. The rabbis have nothing to, to offer in terms of chronology. Not really, not really. Uh, so some would assign a late date. But anyway, so I'm looking at Menachem Kasher, and listen to this. It's a Medrash Yilam Deinu. So it's an old Medrash. And it says, Shalosh Noshem Nosa Avram. In the course of his life, Abraham had three wives. A, B, and C. Sara, Bito Shal Shem. Ketura, Bito Shal Hagar, Bito Shal Isn't that fascinating? I think it's fascinating. Okay? I think it's fascinating. So what it means is like this. The... Uh, that Avram uh, married somebody at different times and had children at different times. Shem Chum Yafis. Right, the three branches of mankind. Now, by the way, it's not so pushed. Because later on it says, V'levnei hapi lakshim, you know, Shalach Avram Matanas or something like that. Uh, now, what pilakshim? <laughs> what pilakshim? Uh, you know, sounds like he had otherwise besides these. We're not told anything about this in the story. Again, you could say, well, that refers to uh, Hagar in some fashion or other. Or it refers to Keturah. Or Rashi will say, it says Pilak Shim, but without a Yud, so it's really Pilak Sham. It's only one. Uh, and all the different commentators will speculate a lot on that. Because, you know, it's uh, a cries out Darshani, you know. What, what, what's happening over here? Are there other wives that he had we don't know? Now, by the way, it's perfectly possible. The stories we read in the Chumash are very, very few pieces of a person's life. I want you to understand, this is a basic thing in understanding the Torah, in my opinion, in understanding the Chumash. You don't know everything about Noah. You know hardly anything about Noah. We know nothing about Avram, except a little bit, whatever the Chumash cares to share with us. And Yitzhak and Yaakov. So, it's totally possible. A person can't say... I read the book of Bracious and Avram only had uh, Sarah and, uh, you know, Hugger or something like that. <laughs> he may have a lot of ways. We don't know. Get it? But we have to go only with the narrative that we have. When you're studying a Torah text, you only go with the narrative you have. And so, you end up with three women being mentioned over here, or maybe more in terms of the Pilag Shim. Okay? Uh, and it doesn't say, by the way, Sarah was a Pilagish. She wasn't, of course. It doesn't say Keturah was a Pilagish. Right? Uh, what's the Lushan in, in the Chumash? Uh, 
Vayosef Avraham, Vaykach Isha, Vishma Ketura. Don't say that, you know, she was a Pelegish. Now, Pelegish would mean is a concubine, which is not the same thing as a wife exactly. Um, concubine is a uh, second class wife, is that the right way to put it? Uh, you know, it's a debate in the Gemara. By the time of the Gemara, I don't think they had it down exactly what the concubines were in the biblical times anymore, because these things change over the course of time. But it's always roughly in the same uh, park, which is a full wife has more rights, legally speaking, than a Pelegish. The Pashup shot is uh, a, a regular wife, when one marries a regular wife, and a man marries a regular wife, she undertakes thereby a whole bunch of financial obligations and other things like that. Uh, you know, the supporter, Suba, of course, you know, things like that. Uh, a Pelegish is, is not like that. They're married, but it's, it's a no-fault divorce. In other words, uh, I owe you nothing, you owe me nothing, in terms of, uh, of, of finance. Why would a girl do that? Why would agree to that? I don't know. Maybe the shit of crisis back then. Seriously, I'm not being funny. Or maybe a girl might say like this. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, I, I see my see at a diamond in this. I make more money <laughs> doing whatever I do. I don't want my husband to touch my money. This way, if it's a Pelagus, you have like two bank accounts or something like that. It's just uh, interesting to speculate on this. But uh, whoever these Pelagus are, Let's go with the story of Keturah. Now, the Medrash Yolamdenu says they see from Yefes, which then comes out to something interesting because what you see over here is a foreshadowing of the tripartite division of Abrahamic belief into Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There's no question in my mind that that's what they have in mind because um, you have Shem uh, Chama Yefes. Shem ends up being the Jews. Arguably the Ishmaelites, you know, arguably. Um, Yefes, though, is what? Yefes, if Keturah is from Yefes, is this interesting? Then um, that's Greece, that's Rome, that's the West, and so forth. So Avram, for some reason, married somebody from that sort of race. And um, therefore, the children that he sent away while he was still alive and gave him presents. I hope I didn't get interrupted here. These phones. What it means is that as you survey um, the history of mankind, you kind of see um, that usually it's not monotheistic, with the three exceptions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. You talk about India, you talk about China, you talk about places like that. It's not. It's not a monotheism, uh, and there's always something Mosheikh about polytheism. Uh, and uh, Western civilization, by the way, is a battle constantly between the monotheistic and the polytheistic uh, type approaches. A lot of these uh, New Age type cultural trends are really like po- polytheistic, but I don't want to go on that right now. Now, um, so if Avram has children by Yefes and children by Chom and the others, uh, it, it, there's something in his, in his genes that are going to be there in the descendants, perhaps dormant, perhaps otherwise. And uh, that's why you'll find it's, it, it, you'll find a receptivity uh, to Abrahamic ideas, specifically monotheism, in populations you might not have expected to see. So, but no, don't don't worry about that. See, Avram had children from Shem from Hamini from Yafis. You see, uh, that's what the matter says. If that matter is simply not a late date sort of thing, 
and it's backdating it because it's it was composed, you know, as a scholar uh, when Islam was already out. I don't know, but uh, it's pretty powerful that the ideas of Abraham uh, penetrated pretty uh, remarkably into the Shem Chami Yafis uh, areas. Now Yafis is where you and I live, um, Western civilization, uh, which had certainly a, a pagan origins, but then took the Abrahamic ideas, and I would say, while they weren't comfortable with a, as, as, as history of Western civilization indicates, they weren't comfortable with a completely puritanical, uh, monotheistic approach, uh, but on the other hand, they wouldn't let go of it either. And I'm referring, of course, to the Christian tradition, in which you have, you know, Trinity, and uh, I don't know, various other things, it depends if you're talking about Catholic or Protestant. And so the Abrahamic idea is there, but, you know, in a Yefes form. Uh, it's it's very striking because uh, we do say, There is a rabbinic concept that the Yefes has what to offer the Jews, just as the Jews have what to offer Yefes. Uh, that's why, according to the Gemara, you can have a Sefer Torah written in Greek, ancient Greek, and read in the synagogue in Greek, which is what they used to do in the time of Bayashani. I've said it many, many times, in the old Greco-Roman world, particularly the eastern half of the Roman Empire, in which it was ruled by Rome, but the, but the culture was Greek, uh, you had lots of Jewish communities, and the ones outside of Israel uh, conducted their services in Greek, and they read the Torah in Greek from a Greek Torah, meaning the text of Chumash, you know, was in Greek. And that's because the Gemara suggests that there is some way of combining uh, fruitfully the beauty of Yefes and the Tense of Shame, which is just an interesting concept. And where do you get this from? Well, Avram, you know, uh, w- w- was was um, married to, intimate with uh, Yefes. Also Chom. Now, Chom associated with Africa. I'll tell you something interesting. Um, and Israelis know this. The ideas of Judaism and Christianity penetrated quite powerfully in Africa in ways that did not happen, as far as I'm aware, in Asia. This is interesting. Uh, the... Uh, there are many areas in Africa, which one form. Let me put it this way: Islam is totally dominant in many parts of Africa, and that's an Abrahamic religion. But Christianity is as well, which is why there's been always a certain sympathy in many quarters in Africa for Israel. After all, the state of Israel, as far as away, was it got to do with anything? But Israelis have noticed this ever since the 1950s when they came to different parts of uh, of Black Africa. That, you know, people are very familiar with the Old Testament, and they like the stories of the Bible, and so on and so forth. And you're tracing this back to B'nai Keturah, right? Not, like I say, in the halachic sense, but in the broader sense of Shem Chami Yavis. Now, the indication seems to be that um, with Sarah, Avram had a particular type of relationship, with Hagar, a different type of relationship, and with Keturah, a third type of relationship. With Sarah, he had uh, the closest relationship, uh, but a very difficult one, because they were childless for so long. With uh, Hagar, uh, they were not childless at all, okay? But, uh, and the other, so no, it's Gashmi's wise he had, but Ruchni's wise is a problem, because 
he ended up, at God's advice, kicking Hagar out. And uh, this couture we know anything about. But it sounds like if he got six children with her, and he's a man told age, they got along. And they got along. And he sends them away. But question is, when he sends them away, does he send them uh, imbued with Avram-type ideas or not? No, this is the fact he sent them away a sign of a failure. And he recognized these kids are not going to be from, I want them out of the way so they shouldn't uh, mess up, uh, you know, Yitzhak and his children. Uh, you know, you don't like your non-from cousins, so to speak. Or is it that, uh, let's put it this way, uh, they had uh, good qualities, and Avram said, I guess I want them, uh, I don't want them to interfere with Yitzhak, but let them spread the ideas in their way in different areas of the world. Um, so in other words, they might have spread a half-baked monotheism, but in Echanami, that is what you really find in, in, in many parts of the world. It's, it's very interesting, half-baked monotheism. Uh, as I said before, from a strictly Judaic uh, theological perspective, the Christianity is a half-baked mon- monotheism, uh, most of it, because, uh, make up your mind, is it a unity or a trinity? Now, I know you can be of it, I understand that, but uh, on the uh, Alpipashas, is a is is a tartarisashri, as we say. It seems to be uh, problematic. So, is there an Abrahamic mission to the world, or is it just a Jewish thing, uh, or is it both? The menush I just read you seems to suggest that it's both. Avram had a special mission for the Yitzhak guys, and then Avram, meaning this is his particular legacy, but he also had a different mission, somewhat the same but not identical. For the other, for the six children of Keturah, which is, you know, spread a monotheism at least to some extent, at least to some extent. Now, it's just fascinating to me because what we know about biblical religions are that it's not so simple to say simply say there was Judaism and there was Avodah there was Judaism and paganism. That's the you know black and white. That's the easiest way to address this. There were the Jews who believed in one God. And there's all these kind of believe in multiple gods. It's not so simple. There always were um, non-Jews who, while believing in a number of gods, saw a single god in the background. I would say that's actually very common. Right? Very common. But you see a whole bunch of little gods, but it's all he's understood with some supreme uh, situation all the way in the background. Which means in the middle of the Avodah they had a certain... Uh, understanding of God. Uh, sometimes this was referred to as the philosophical conception of God. Other times other names were given to it. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Agrippa's letter to Caligula, you know, where he says even the, the, the Roman emperor philosophers understood the sublimity of an uh, invisible God. And, you see, if you now to read the Tanakh, right, that uh, the Jews were confused often uh, over the concept of uh, the different uh, gods, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Uh, many people make this mistake. Uh, what exactly is Egal is over to Pesalmich or something like that? There is such a concept called the Um But what does that mean? Uh, this is a discussion Avram Avinu would have had in his tent long ago. Avodazar can mean belief in a different god. So, a person will say, I don't believe that uh, 
the God of the Hebrews, Yud Kevavke, created the world? Rather, I believe that um, Zeus did, or uh, Hercules, or Thor, or something like that. No, I believe in a different deity. Get it? Completely different deity. That's Mama's classic of a Um Now, what if somebody said like this? Um, I believe in a Jewish God, but I understand that Jewish God to be in this way. I understand that Jewish God, who created the world and is the supreme in the universe, has two ears. And I'm going to make a statue of him with two ears. Or, more commonly, a man with a long white beard sitting on a throne upstairs in heaven. I'm sure there's a million pieces of art like that. And that's God. After all, the Bible does describe God in those anthropomorphic terms. I'm referring to the book of, of uh, Daniel, when Hashem is described as, as an old man, Atik Yomin, with a long white beard, and so on and so forth. You find these words sitting on a throne. You find these words. So, basically what I'm saying is, what if there are two statues in front of me? The first statue is a statue of Thor, or of Zeus. The second statue is a statue of Hashem. And I asked the sculptor, what did you do that for? He said, this is what I think Hashem looks like. Is that a Vodazar? Uh, you, you get my point? Is that a Vodazar? He doesn't believe in a different God. He simply is violating a different commandment, which is, thou shalt not make any images of me. But that's not identical with a Vodazar. See how complicated, complicated it can get? And uh, the pro- that's a Yefes type thing. Can you take God himself and turn him into a work of art? Not with the intention to suggest there's a different God, but simply to find some kind of artistic representation for whatever reason, let's say to help the worshiper out or anything like that. Uh, that's what we call the idea of Yefes, at least in my understanding, which is, I always say, that's all I can give you. That's the idea of Yefes. And Avram married the Keturah and he sent them away, gave them Atanas, uh, long ago, of course, uh, because their conceptions of the monotheism are, uh, are tainted, let's say, with this uh, idea of the beauty and the uh, material representation. Yitzhak, the idea would then be, would represent... Uh, the notion of Judaism, meaning the God's invisible, has no form or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, Yitzhak just digs these wells and makes altars. You know, he doesn't have any art. Uh, but the B'nai Keturah will be the type that would make the art. The type of thing that would make the art. Now, what's interesting is, later in Jewish history, I mean in the biblical period, uh, you find that Jews will indeed go for the Ephes type thing, saying, I'm not making a different God, that's the from interpretation of the golden calf, is it not? All right, if you want the from interpretation of the Eglazov incident, he's making it for Hashem. Elohecha Yisrael Sheralucham Yitzchayim. Or the Pesel Micha, where the mother said, give me the silver and we'll turn it into a molten image for Hashem. So they were crossing the line and then getting confused with Yaftel Akim Liyafes of Yishkin Baal Avram was married to all different types, according to his Medrash. How he worked out Chum, that didn't work out so great, but Chum misbehaved on the ark, and Chum's descendant, Hagar and, and Ishmael, they don't behave right either. But B'nai Keturah, it's a different relationship. They don't do anything bad in the Chumash, but on the other hand, their pure monotheism is, 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 is tainted with a certain materiality, because it kind of has to be. Kind of has to be. Now I'll tell you what's really cool. 
uh, as we all know, one of the children is Midian. Later on, Yisro is the coin of Midian. Uh, is Yisro monotheist? Is he not a monotheist? It's hard to tell because there's all the different Midrashim about Yisro also. The Pashim shot put aside all those stories that he was Pharaoh's counselor, that he was simply the priest of Midian. Uh, and of course, his daughter marries Moshe. And later when he shows up in the uh, camp, and uh, Parshat Yisro, of course. So, uh, what does Yisro represent? Uh, he's related to the Jews, the Bnei Keturah. Um, well, so is Yishmal. The Jews didn't have a good time with the Bnei Yishmal, but they are related. They all have this Avram thing in the background. But as they said before, it's a, a strange, and perhaps I should use the word attenuated type of monotheism, which is associated with materiality. Uh, materiality. Yisro would then be understood to be able to move past that when you get to Parshish Yisro where you say, now I see Hashem runs the world and how he punished Egypt. In other words, Yisro starts out as a Bnei Keturah and then ends up, it seems to be, as a Ger, you know, as as a, as a Yisro type. You see where I'm getting? These are mega themes. At least that's what strikes me anyway. Um, and of course, it's kind of cool that... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Yisro, will end, who's descended from Keturah, will be the father-in-law of Moshe. Uh, Moshe will be the guy who will kill the idea of uh, you know the materiality because uh, Moshe will be up there 48, 49. If anybody knows what's going on here, Moshe is the one who will kill this possibility of trying to represent God in some material form. However, 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 you know, as I told you before, the genes, which genes predominate? Is it the Abraham genes or the Keturah genes? Uh, Yisro's uh, uh, great-grandchildren will revert to form like Yephes, and of course we all know that Moshe's grandson, which would be Yisro's great-grandson, is the priest of the idols in the uh, in the Pesamicha for many centuries. Not only him, it says him and his family became a dynasty of Mosaic priests. You understand what I'm talking about? You know anything about the Tanakh? How Yisra kind of, kind of jumps out and how uh, Keturah, the, Keturah therefore does? He had something called the Pesel Micha, um, which had its adventures. But it was an idol. But it was an idol of God. Right? I didn't say they did right. Obviously they did wrong, but they, it happened. Uh, and they made it into like a, a temple. And uh, they had a priesthood. And by the time the story's over, the temple is located in Tel Dan. All the way up north, by the Banyas. Uh, that's where they had this temple. Now, the Jews had a second temple called the Beis Amish in Jerusalem. Have you heard of that? And you could, you know, let's put it this way. You take dealer's choice. If you lived in the time of Beis Amish, you could go to the Aaronai temple or to the Mosaic temple. You could go to the Beis Amish in Yerushalayim, run by the Bnei Aharon, who is not related to Yisro, right? Or you could go, if that's what you wish to do, all the way up north to Don. And you could go to the Mosaic Temple, where the priests were the sons of Gershom. You know, you know some Gershom of Bonov. Uh, you know, Ad Yom Achorben. They're different. The Alpipashis, this temple was standing for 500 years. Something like that. And uh, what would you see there? In both cases, you would say, there's one God who created the whole universe, but 
in one place called the Beis Amigdash, there's no representation whatsoever. Uh, in the other place, which is called the Pesel Michod, the that Beis Amigdash, if I can use that term, maybe I should use a different term, uh, there you will, you will see God represented. Okay? You'll see God represented. And therefore, one would represent Avram uh, pure, <laughs> and the other one would be Avram with a chase of Ketur in it. It's the Ephes. And with a chase of Ketur in it. And uh, which one predominates? Which one uh, dominates? Now, in the long run, what, happen- what seems to have happened, it's confusing, but the best as we can tell, best that I can tell, is that when Yerobin Nevi comes along and starts the kingdom in the north, he sort of appropriates the temple at Tel Don, and, and he uh, sets it up for golden calf, in other words, maybe it's already golden calf, and he tries to make a cult out of what I just described, the Judaism in which God is represented in material form, and if you give it enough time, this eventually degenerates into Baal and Asher and other gods. But, to be perfectly honest, if you know the history of the period of Bayez Rishon, there was plenty of Balashera junk happening in Yerushalayim as well, was there not? Depending on which king you're talking about. So, the Avram idea and the wives he marries and how it plays out in the long run is very complex. Uh, I'm not sure how you see it in the Hagar descendants, because we're not told much about, about that. But the Ketur descendants, especially Midian, uh, strikes me as very fascinating. Very fascinating. And, uh, you know, who's the great enemy of Midian? Uh, well, remember, Moshe, <laughs> Moshe himself leads a war against it. And it's a war of extermination, too. It's not politically correct. They kill the women, the children, all that kind of stuff. So it gets pretty uh, wild over there. Um, and so, at least to my mind, you end up with this enigmatic story, which goes as follows. There was Avram, he had Yitzhak, of course. He wanted to make sure Yitzhak married from within his family, and he did do so. So it's Semitic, you know, it's all within the family. Avram had another kid, Yishmael, which doesn't seem to have worked out so well. Uh, and then you have this third business, uh, which is enigmatic. He sends him away, Cade Muller is Kedem, and he sends him with Matanos, which the Pasha drop means he gave him money. So uh, you have children of Abraham who are sent away by Abraham. And on the other hand, they're not babies. And so wherever they settle, they simply are going to share some of the Abrahamic ideas with which they were raised. I don't say they, they stayed from or anything like that, but the effects of this, the long-term effects on the place in which they lived are just interesting. Let me say this. Today, in the year 2020, the areas of the B'nai Keturah putting aside the FS thing, if he sent them east. So uh, this is what we call the Arab world, the Islamic world. The Islamic world today, uh, for all of its plus and minuses, and they hate the Jews, they hate Israel, but uh, from theological perspective, they're keeping the Abrahamic uh, idea alive. Right? They believe in one God. Uh, they may have a Navi Sheker and all that stuff, but you know, they, like the Ramah says, they keep the belief idea in, in, in one God. The Keturah, as understood by the Manish, which is the Bnei Ephes, has been the Western culture, the Western civilization. How has Western civilization interacted with monotheism? That's a great question. Right? Uh, one thing's for sure. The Western civilization, 
broadly speaking, has never been comfortable with removing art from religion. Uh, to understand God as a, as a uh, you know, something which is ineffable. You can't comprehend it. But rather, then and now, art has always uh, striven to do what I just described, which is to paint images of God. Think, for example, Michelangelo on that ceiling over there. You know, they're always going to paint God in some form. And even if you say, I don't really mean it, but, you know, you can't help but get schlepped into the materialistic. I'm talking, no, I don't mean materialistic in the yeshiva sense. I'm talking about the material sense and the artistic sense uh, and uh, a concept. And all this seems to be hinted at in this very uh, funny passage that we find in Chaisar, which doesn't seem to have anything to do really with Dasasara, uh, with the Shidduch of Yitzhak and Rivka, with the story of Avraham, you know, it must be something like I'm saying, or, or something like that, that has long-term effect that you see later on in history. Uh, and anyway, I, as you see from today, I like that Medrash, uh, the Alam Deinu, and uh, the idea that Avraham married somebody from Shem Pum Kami office seems to give out the idea that Abrahamic ideas will have a Tfisa among these three uh, areas. Of course, there's no mention of the Chinese, the Japanese, the, the Asians, which is uh, strange, okay? Uh, you know, that's a huge area of mankind. There's no mention of them. As we know, Judaism had no impact out there. Uh, there's no, uh, what shall I say, similar movement in the Far East to what happened in the, in the West and Middle East. In the West and Middle East, there was Christianity and Islam. Nothing like that happened in the Far East. Uh, and that's, again, you know, it's kind of interesting, but then again, we don't have any mention of Avram doing it. Now, somebody once told me years ago, maybe Sir Byron Saljic, I don't know, that the, the Matonas that he sent east uh, had to do with acupuncture or something like that. That's like crazy as far as I'm concerned, but listen, what do I know? I wasn't there. Uh, Pushim Shot, to me, if such a thing is possible, say Pushim Shot, is more in line with what I'm thinking. Anyway, I hope as a result of these uh, thoughts, these rambles, maybe you'll have a, a better insight than I have, or maybe I have interesting discussion at Shabbos. Uh, what is the uh, point of the story of the B'nai Keturah? With that, I wish you a good week, and once again, uh, I thank our sponsors, and hope that the Nisham of the Grandfather will have an aliyah.